If I could choose only one thing to be thankful for in being a peripheral part of the motorcycle industry, it would be the good fortune of getting to meet and know some truly impressive women. While I have unlimited access to strong, independent female role models of the two-wheeled persuasion in my adult life, in part thanks to this thing called the internet, I did not in my childhood. I was raised on Candace Bergen's Murphy Brown and stories from my great aunt's world travels on her late husband's railroad pension. Come on, you know I had to get it from somewhere. Had I have been exposed to more fearless females earlier on, who knows the difference it may have made in my life. I'm happy for the few that I did. It seems to have had a slight effect. Women may represent only 15 to 20% of motorcyclists as a whole in the United States, but in my life, it's closer to 60%. Being a female who rides, much like being an adventure traveler, does not feel uncommon. It feels actually pretty normal because I'm surrounded by extraordinary women and men in this thing we call a motorcycling community that is comprised of the adventure set, road racers, weekend off-roading warriors, motocrossers, commuters, rally competitors, flat trackers, and cross country cruisers to name a few. My goal, which can pretty much be extrapolated across the interview series as a whole, is to provide riders and non-riders alike a glimpse into the lives of motorcyclists, be it industry veterans, adventure travelers, or in the case of this series, women in motorcycling. Thank you for joining us in this first episode of the Motorific Podcast, Women in Motorcycling series. I'm your host, Christy Farrell. In this episode, we talked to Brittany Morrow of Rock the Gear, who back in 2005 was a passenger injured in a horrific motorcycle accident. Like a phoenix rising from the ashes a year later, Brittany rose out of obscurity to bravely share her very personal story in an effort to encourage people to protect themselves when they ride. So I'm sitting here in a cafe, so apologize for the background noise, with uh, Brittany Morrow, and we are here to uh, launch our first, I guess, series of uh, women in the industry, and it could appropriately be called Women Who Rock, because Brittany, as you're aware, uh, started the Rock Figure campaign. So it has almost been 10 years since your accident. Um, Please give us uh, uh, an idea of you know how that's been after and, and kind of what are the things that you've worked on since then and what are you uh, working on today? Sure. Uh, I've kind of been all over the place, as you know. Um, really, personally, from when the accident happened to now, it's been a journey. Um, it's always a little bit more self-discovery every single day of what I'm going to have to live with for the rest of my life as far as the consequences of the crash, uh, physically and emotionally, and uh, spiritually and mentally, all of those things were affected. Every day gets a little bit better. I get a little bit stronger. Uh, I feel um, further away from being a victim and closer to being uh, somebody who has kind of taken my life circumstances and, and making them work for myself and for other people. So every day, one step at a time, it's, you know, eight and a half years now. So it's been a journey for sure. <laughs> I was going to say, this is probably a good point to say, what did you want to do uh, career-wise before the accident happened? Because as you were saying, this has kind of shaped your life in a way. Yes. So when I was a little girl, I had a lot of ideas for all the things I wanted to be. And it was funny because most of them were jobs that women don't usually hold. Uh, I wanted to be the first woman president. I wanted to be a lawyer. I wanted to be a lot of uh, very strong things um, from a female perspective. And 
what I was actually doing when I got into the crash was I was training to go into the Marine Corps to be a journalist. And they call that combat camera. So that was the job I wanted to do. I've always been very good at writing with a W and a T. (laughs) So uh, I wanted to serve my country and be a kick-ass female and... I couldn't think of a better place to do that um, than in the Marine Corps, and that's where I was when I got into the crash. It's actually one of the reasons why the doctor said I even survived was because I was in great shape. That was the biggest change for me, for sure, was that what I wanted to do, what I was preparing to do, was taken away from me immediately. The Marine Corps looked at me as damaged goods from then on. Um, and I don't blame them. You know, I would not have been very good for the Marine Corps after my crash. So it's actually kind of cool that I've come full circle that I now do training for the military. It's kind of my way of serving without being active duty, yeah. still being beside the brothers and sisters that I would have had if I was in. Um, but now I'm giving them a service uh, that I know I'm good at, and it's and it's helping them. So uh, it's kind of worked out. And it's a combination of the two-wheeled life as well as Absolutely. kind of what you were going with before yeah, part absolutely. of the journalism. It's, uh, it's, you know, like I said, one, one day at a time, I feel like there's so many different directions that my life could go, um, but I know that no matter what, I want to work in the industry with motorcycles. Learning the lesson of life is too short when I was 20 years old and realizing that if you spend your days doing something you don't love doing, then it's just a waste. I, it hit me really hard and when I was really young. And I'm very lucky to have learned that lesson early on in my life. So now that I do know what I love to do and that I can do a bunch of different things and still be in the industry working with motorcycles and motorcyclists, whether whether it's writing a blog or writing a book or working for Icon or teaching, leading female rides, no matter what I'm doing as long as it's with motorcycles, um, then I know I'm going to be happy and that my life will be well spent and that I have something to contribute for sure yeah. um, that I care about. So I don't work. There, <laughs> I have jobs, but I don't really work because I love what I do. It's very true for me. You're not working with the Marine Corps anymore now that you're officially with ICON. ICON. <laughs> uh, I'm actually still an instructor okay. for the Navy and Marine Corps. I just am not doing it full time anymore. So what specifically were you doing with that? So the job that I just left to go to ICON was site manager up at Naval Weapon Station Seal Beach. So I actually served all five branches when I was up there. I did Navy, Marine Corps, Air Force, Coast Guard, and the Army. Wow. Yes. Um, I was the only one. So I was in charge of the site. I was also uh, the only rider coach up there. So I did all of the scheduling. I did all of the training. I did all of the correspondence with the students. I did all of the correspondence with the safety representatives from each unit in every command. Um, So I was kind of the one-stop shop girl up there. Um, It was very rewarding. uh, But man, oh man, I don't like admin. (laughs) I was going to say, how many people work? I mean, I can't imagine. In any one time between five branches of the military, how many guys are riding that you're having interface with? Yes, a lot. And because it's mandatory. It's mandatory for the military to get trained and to do follow-on training. So they don't just go to the basic riders course and then I never see them again. I'm supposed to see them 60 days later for their level 2 training. And then every three years they have to re-up. The Air Force is every five years. Um, But besides that, I mean... It's mandatory, and there's people coming in off of ships, off of deployments. 
Um, the local area has uh, reservists all over the place, so even if they're just weekend warriors, they still have to do that training. So retirees, dependents, all of those students can come to me up at Naval Weapons Station Stone Beach. So that's what I did. Wow. Yeah, it was it was pretty cool to work with that many different kinds of people from different walks of life, um, all being as part of the military, obviously. But uh, see a lot of diverse groups. And so they have gear requirements, or at least as far as being on base, you're required to have a minimum of helmet boots, I'm sure. But yes, actually, the military requires any active duty members or reservists to wear gear even when they're not riding off base. But their definition of gear that's required, and they call it personal protective equipment, so PPE, uh, it's always a DOT approved helmet. It can be half shell, three quarter, or full face. Uh, a long sleeve shirt, motorcycle specific gloves, long pants, and sturdy over the ankle boots. That's what they are required to wear on on base, off base, anywhere that they ride, even if they go out of town, on leave, overseas, whatever. They sign what's called a page 13, and it says it basically requires them to follow a certain number of rules, including the training requirements and the PPE requirements. Well, the military won't pay for their medical expenses if they crash, and they won't pay their families if they actually die in their crash. So it's become really serious. And I know that we don't like to think about those kind of things, um, but for the military, they're really stepping it up, trying to make sure that their soldiers, sailors, airmen, Marines are all protected. Coasties, they're all protected. Uh, think they'll ever step up to the point where a jacket or pants? I don't think so. Yeah. Simply because um, if you make a jacket and pants required, then technically they could turn around and say, well, then issue it to us. So I think that's a kind of a fine line. I don't know the, the details about how that could come into play, but I think it, once you require something, the military has to issue it, which is why the training for them is free. Training's mandatory, so they don't pay for it. What about the helmet and the boots? I don't think they issue those. Yeah, I was just about to say. <laughs> most, to be honest with you, most of the riders ride in their military-issued boots. Yeah. Yes. Because so. I've seen that buzzing around Pendleton, being out in this kind of general neck of the woods. Yes. The uh, fatigues head down the freeway. Yep. So that's the other thing is that there's a lot of rules. There's a lot of rules on what you're allowed to wear while you're riding as far as if you're in uniform. Um, Marines can only go to and from work and home. They are not allowed to make any stops. They can't go to the store in their uniforms out in town. Um, and this is the, the camouflage uniforms. Yeah. Everyone else is allowed to wear their fatigues when they want to uh, go out between work and home. They can go on a ride, make their stops, whatever they need to. So you see it a lot more in the Navy. You'll see a lot more of the blue riding around um, than the urban or the jungle camo from the Marine Corps. At some point, if they wear a motorcycle jacket over their uniform, they must take it off before they walk away from their bike when they're on base or they can get in trouble. Wow. Yes. So they have to be completely out of motorcycle gear and then on uh, or in their work uniform uh, when they walk away from their motorcycle. So there's a lot of, I think it's 150 feet rule or something. Um, so there's a lot of, there's a so lot of extra rules that they have to follow. Yes. 
And uh, it's obviously the, the military is trying to protect their investment but and keep everyone disciplined. Um, it makes it harder for the military to ride, yeah, for sure. Clearly. They have to jump through hoops of fire. Apart from on-base additional training, they also do, like, off, correct? Don't they sponsor? Uh, yes. So what's outside. really cool is the Marine Corps was doing a program for a couple of years called Femper Ride. And it was where they were sponsoring track days and higher level training for their Marines. If they wanted to go and learn how to drag a knee, then they would they would sponsor the class on the Marine Corps base and have Lee Parks come out and do the total control training in a parking lot, teach teach the riders how to drag a knee, and at the same time put them through discussions that have to do with behavior modification, deciding why they do that and where it's appropriate, where it's not appropriate. Trying to get them to figure out, hey, don't go out on the street and do this. Yeah. Now that we're teaching it to you, we'd like for you to stay at the track or make sure that you know the riding position that's appropriate for the street versus the track. The more skills that you have, the safer you're going to be on the track and on the street. You just need to know how to use the skills for where you are, appropriate for your your conditions. How to apply the speed. Absolutely. Yeah, the speed's the, really well. the biggest change. <laughs> yeah, Star School, I know that they work with National Guard. Yes. Um, Star School is really cool. Jason Pridmore and all the people that work through that program have really stepped up. They offer, they offer free spots um, for active duty military. Uh, I don't know how often they come up, but I always tell my classes at the end, if you guys want to go to the track, if you want to take an actual track school, then go to starmotorcycle.com and really follow that, follow the link, follow the schedule, let them know that you're in the military. I don't know if they have a waitlist program, but it's very cool. I have a couple of friends that went through it, and they just speak the world of that, that program. So it's very cool that they would do that for military members. Yeah. And National Guard, I believe, is also a sponsor for a lot of the uh, racing. So. Yes. So I, have a, I actually have a couple of friends who are active, uh, assigned to the National Guard, uh, through the Army, obviously. They're always, they always have unit rides going on. There's tons of, of events that they, they're trying to get together all the time. Uh, the National Guard is pretty uh, pretty on point when it comes to supporting their riders. The Marine Corps as well. Um, Navy is working on it. Air Force, they're all trying to step up their game. They just need to find the money, and that's the big issue. Yeah. It's always a struggle. <clears throat> Which is why <laughs> uh, I find myself wanting to go more towards my creative roots. Um, like I said, I wanted to be a journalist. Uh, I was also very interested in an advertising career. This is before I even wanted to join the Marine Corps. So the transition to Icon has really been just a dream for me. Obviously, I haven't even started yet, and I'm already doting. You've been associated with Icon for a while. Yes. Uh, for the last two years, I've been what we would call a sponsored amateur rider. Just somebody who is a normal, everyday rider, but drives people to Icon, and they recognize that. Kind of like brand ambassador. Absolutely, yeah. And before that, I worked, I've worked with them since 2006, really. I've been a spokesperson. I've worn their gear. I've been pretty brand loyal. The more, the farther into the years that we go, the, the more and more Icon I wear and the less and less of anything else I wear, just because Icon's shown me so much support, um, so much innovation. They're always asking for feedback. Um, the people who work at Icon are just, they just want to get it right. 
they just want to get it right, and that's what I really admire about them. It's a it's a small group of guys, and now girl, yay! Are you really the, you're the only girl that works there? Uh, there's the there's a girl who works in the office. Her name's Chris Stevens, <laughs> and she kicks butt. But as far as being on the writer side of things, the design, the feedback, the correspondence with the dealerships, all of that stuff. Um, it's a very small group of people and they really just are passionate about what they do and they're just trying their best to make something that's affordable, fits well, and looks great. And there's no compromise. That's what they really want is that riders don't have to compromise. Yeah. So that's, I'm so excited. I'm so excited. So when do you officially start then? Officially on May 5th. Oh, wow. Yeah, so Monday. Cinco de Mayo, the anniversary. I didn't even think about that. Oh, my gosh. So every year on Cinco de Mayo, we're going to have tacos in celebration of my transition to full-time with Icon. How's that sound? Yes. Okay, so drink a margarita for me. <laughs> After your ride, of course. Yeah, I was just about to say, but don't ride there. <laughs> iced tea. We've got iced tea. Iced tea and water. Anything upcoming with Rock the Gear? Still got that going? Yeah. So, I just relaunched the website. It was offline for about six months. I transitioned from custom-built web platform from 2008 to just a basic template-style blog um, from WordPress, easy enough to operate. Uh, unfortunately, when you don't get paid to do what you love, um, you, can, you only have so much time that you can dedicate to it. Yeah. So... Obviously, it would be wonderful if, if I could sell things on Rock the Gear and continue to post daily on my adventures and other people's adventures and why we should wear gear. But for now, it's, it's purely educational. And what I really see for everything that's going on is... I, I thought for a while that my story might become obsolete eventually, you know. I, I thought that people would say, oh, I've, I've heard that story before. Um, what I've come to realize is that there's always new writers, and they were always shocked and excited to hear my story and to hear what I'm doing now. And so as long as there's new writers, Rock the Gear has a purpose. As well as other people, I mean, who have learned as far as, wow, we've heard that story before. Well, there are probably hundreds, if not thousands of people who have gone through similar Absolutely. experience yeah. and, you know, can step up and share. So with Rock the Gear, we encourage those who know why they choose to Rock the Gear to share that with their fellow riders. Whether it's on social media or talking to people in person, obviously motorcyclists communicate very personally to each other. It's a lot of one-on-one um, -on -one communication as far as word of mouth. So even though there's a lot of internet content, you can go on forums, you can go you know, on Facebook and Twitter and all these places, riders still listen to riders. And as long as we continue to share the stories of both what our mistakes are and what our triumphs are, then the new riders can learn. They can learn from it. And, and old riders can learn from it, too. Yeah. It's really funny. I've actually I've done a lot of conferences where um, I'm the youngest person in the entire room. And I'm here I am trying to give a lecture on why you should be wearing your gear. Rah, rah, rah. But I think as long as I... I present it in the way that I always have, and it's that it's a choice. Um, but just make sure you know what you're choosing and what you're really getting yourself into um, when you make the decisions that you do. Yeah. 
um, then people will respect that. And they'll, it'll make them second guess the decisions that they make. Um, and at the end of the day, that's all I can give them. Yeah. They have to choose to save their own lives. I can only give them the motivation to reevaluate the decisions that they make. Yeah, and the awareness. I mean, we're, yeah, absolutely. technology is constantly evolving. What we know is constantly evolving. The more you, you know, the more you learn, the kind of wiser you get. And then you kind of go, you know, maybe I shouldn't. Yeah, I can't leave the house without that. I need that. <laughs> I need to wear that. Whether yes. it's jacket, gloves, pants, boots. Like you mentioned, the technology, the progression that we're making right now with textiles is wonderful. And riders need to know that you don't have only two choices when it comes to gear. There's so many choices out there, and a lot of people don't realize it simply because you can't just walk into a store and try it all on. Yeah, leather, Kevlar, mesh, yeah. Cordura. Yeah, and even just, even just the way that the that the textile is woven together makes a huge difference. And if you want the difference between fighter mesh or you want Cordura, then you, you need to know what the difference is so that you can make an informed decision, you know, because knowledge is power at the end of the day. Right. (laughs) So that's how I'm, I'm hoping to get the word out continuous uh, posting on, on rock the gear. Although it's not daily, it's not even monthly right now, but having the right information out there, um, is what's really important, making sure that um, I'm responding to people's feedback. Uh, I'm learning and growing every day when it comes to Rock the Gear. People have questions. I'm answering them the best that I can. And obviously, when people have, when people have questions that I don't know the answer to, that's, that's my favorite type of question because then I'm going to learn something. Yeah. So I'm going to go find the answer. And uh, I've learned that I can't be afraid to do that. Yeah. I can't be afraid to go find the answer because that's how I'm going to grow. When students ask me questions in class, when I get an email from somebody asking me to help them figure out how to find gear because, you know, say they're plus-sized or they live in a remote area, most of the time I'll send them to Joanne Don. Yeah, Revzilla.com. Absolutely. She'll dress you. <laughs> um, she will. She will put you in the right stuff. And uh, Send her a selfie. <laughs> <laughs> what do you recommend? Shameless plug. I hope you're happy with that, Joanne. <laughs> I um I, I know that if I if I don't know the answer to something, then I can find it. And yeah. we can find the answer together and then we're all it's all it's helping us all. So as long as we work together. Ooh, Thank you. Snack time. Our salad just got here. <laughs> this looks Thank so good. Thank you. I've never actually had to kill an interview for food, but that's interesting. <laughs> it's a first for everything, people. Um, actually, before we before we start and finish, we'll just say that today uh, was International Female Ride Day, and uh, that is one of the reasons, if not, who better to rock the gear and rock the uh, the women who rock industry interview than to be with Brittany. And on top of that, we were able to ride together on a group ride today so um hopefully the ladies listening were able to get out today saturday may 3rd right yes um and uh, get a little ride time in and the baby starts <laughs> in so we're gonna bid you do and uh look forward to Good our timing yeah look forward to our next series we're gonna eat bye